Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 2. Maybe like many of you, it's the start of a new year, so I start to reflect on some of the uh, things in my spiritual walk that I already uh, might know or I want to come back to, why do I do what I do? Um, and I just want to encourage us today, maybe with some reminders, of why do you even come to church? What's the point of coming? Sometimes it's easy to let go of the reason we're here <laughs> and all that that entails. So, I'm going to look in Second Chronicles chapter 2 of Solomon, and he gives reasons why he's going to build the temple. And I do want to talk about the parallel, right? Solomon's going to build the temple where God's name uh, dwells, where he's supposed to dwell, where the people of God can approach God and bring him worship and learn of him. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I will build for myself a church and that he will dwell among his people. And he now lives inside of us. And when we come together, one of the most important parts of that verse where two or three are gathered together in my name, coming under a specific cause, under a specific name, under a specific authority, there I am in the midst of them. And so you can see the parallels, hopefully, between the temple and the universal church and even the local church. So let's read in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. Then Solomon sent to Hiram, king of Tyre, saying, As you have dealt with David my father and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings, mornings and evenings, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feasts of the Lord your God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the temple which I build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank You that You are the One who is in control. Thank You that... You are so mighty and powerful and so much better than us and so far above us and yet choose to use us. And you do miracles every day just simply explaining your scriptures to us, a people like us who have a hard time learning. Thank you so much for your long suffering and your grace. We pray right now, Lord, that this would be a time where we might be built up in the faith. We might see you for your character and just simply looking at your character might make us want to change our lives. And even as I pray those things, Lord, I know that uh, I can be stubborn and uh, hard-hearted. So we pray again you would do a work, that uh, you would change us, that we might look more like you, that we might become mature and complete, looking like the Christ himself. And so this would be our desire. We pray that you would uh, just do a mighty work as you always do. Be honored and glorified above all during this time. In your name, amen. Why did Solomon want to build the temple, period? Well, it says there in verse 1 and verse 4, I'm building a temple for the name of the Lord my God. Now, it seems pretty uh, simple. 
Uh, I like the phrase Christianese that came out today. Um, some of those words in our Christian faith can kind of sound normal, but I always like to ask questions, as in, why would anyone start a local assembly today? What is the purpose of it? Is it really just for the name of the Lord God? Is that really all it was supposed to be, the temple? Not necessarily for the people of Israel at all, but just for God Himself? It would appear so. The whole point of building this magnificent physical structure is just simply for God Himself, so He could dwell there, and that we could approach Him based on the way He told us to, and bring our offerings to Him and worship Him there at the temple. It wasn't about the people. It wasn't for Israel. It was for Him. I don't know, I just want us to think about that a little bit, because in my own ways, it's so easy, because obviously the gospel is so people-driven, to think that it's about us. (laughs) And it's just such a hard way to explain that, yes, the gospel is about us, but ultimately it's about Him. (laughs) And for His namesake. That's what it's for. And it is love for us that he has established the plan that he has. So I want to talk about his name. Why does Solomon say, I want to build this for the name of the Lord my God? Why should we actually care about his name, period? That sounds a little crazy. But why should we care about God's name? Does it matter to us? Well, turn to Ezekiel chapter 20. I'd like to tell you that He cares about His name. (laughs) So for any reason why we should care about the name of the Lord is because He cares greatly about it. And so we talk about the name of the Lord, we mean really His testimony, right? God's testimony. What people think about when they think of God. His actions and how He treats people. In Ezekiel chapter 20, starting in verse 8, it says this. Again, one of the historical uh, narratives of God saying how His people have dealt with the fact that He's chosen them, basically. In verse 8 it says, But they rebelled against Me and would not obey Me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were, in whose sight I had made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me, and they might know that I am the Lord that sanctifies them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbath. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So I also raised my hand and an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, 
for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. If you go down to verse 22, Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my namesake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles, in whose sight I had brought them out. You know, God cares very much about his name and his reputation. Very much so. Sometimes we like to live in a Christian bubble where we think it's just us. God cares very much how the world sees him. To the point where his people that he chose, that he saved out of Egypt, that he brought and directed in the wilderness. And I love to think of all the miracles of the fire and the cloud and the parting of the Red Sea and all the beautiful imagery that's there and about how it should help us in our walk and our faith and, and how much they rebelled and how they made golden calves and they did all these things and he had every right to consume them. And the reason he didn't is yes, he loved them, but a reason he did not is for his namesake among the Gentiles. Because remember where it said, in the middle of the Gentile world, in Egypt, I made myself known. And all those Egyptians, the picture of the world, I made myself known to them through plagues and through all these things. And everyone said, this is the true God, the Israelites. And I brought them out. And now... Now, if I consume the Israelites, my name will not look good to the Gentiles. So I'm going to spare them. You think God ever does that with the church today? Sometimes the universal church doesn't do a good job. It does a lousy job at showing His true character, at showing who God really is. Sometimes maybe he's gracious to us just to protect his own name. His own namesake. And I would like to say that if he cares so much about his testimony, maybe we should care a little more too. Maybe we should care about what people think about our God. Maybe by our actions, our lifestyles, and what we do here corporately on a Sunday, we should think about what the Gentiles think, what the world thinks of our God. His name is very important to him. He also acts for his namesake. Obviously, the Lord loves us and he wants the best for us. I firmly believe that. But there is also a peace to working out our salvation where He guides us in paths of righteousness, as it says in Psalms 23.3, for His namesake. Why would He guide us in paths of righteousness? He restores my soul. There's other psalms that say, revive me according to your namesake or for your namesake. In Psalm 31.3 it says, for you are my rock and my fortress for your namesake. You will lead me and guide me. Don't you understand there's times where God leads us and guides us into paths of righteousness and revives us for His namesake. For His namesake. 
So that when the world looks at you and the world looks at me or even other believers look at us, they say, that is an unbelievable God. That's a tremendously awesome, majestic God. He took someone like that and still leads them into paths of righteousness, even though they're rebellious. Still wants to revive them. Still wants to give them comfort. All these things. The gospel itself. In 1 John, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. Do you know part of the gospel is simply for His name? Simply for His name. That the world can't look at God and say, you created us, we messed up, and then you left us. No, actually the world has absolutely no right to do that. For his name's sake, God's saying, listen, do you really want to know who I am? I save people. I sent my son to die on a cross. He lived an innocent life. He paid the penalty. I poured my wrath upon him. He rose from the dead. For my name's sake, I forgive sins. So I don't want you to sit there and talk bad about my name. I love those who I created and I redeemed them. I did every single thing possible to make sure they're not separated from me forever. My namesake. I don't want anyone to think bad about my name. I forgave them of their sins. There's times where we forget that it's about Him instead of us. There's times where we just forget. <laughs> In Psalms 25.11, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. It's great. You ever got to the point where you don't want to sin, not because it's the wrong thing to do, because you're actually worried about the reflection of God's character when you sin. That your lifestyle, that you have told people in your life, people at work, family members, you've told people here, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus Christ. And your lifestyle might suddenly taint the image of who He is. That should bother us. That should bother us. I know I'm going to sin. I know it. But I want to stop simply because I want Him to look better. His name has already been messed up by enough people out there. I want my life to make His name look good. And I don't want my sin to mess that up. We bear His name. How we conduct ourselves here as we are His living temple. When we come together corporately, it matters what we do on a Sunday morning matters greatly because we are reflecting His name. We bear His name. The early church, again, was called Christians. Why? They just said, those are the followers of Him. If you want to know who the Christ was, you look at them. They're Christians. That's the name the world gave us.
I just think we need to start caring about our testimony a little more. <laughs> Somehow, I haven't heard it in a while. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it was the fact that when I grew up, maybe they said it the wrong way. Maybe they put too much pressure on me. <laughs> maybe they said, be perfect or you'll, you know, you'll mess up your witness. And maybe because of that, I've gone the other way on the pendulum. But somehow, we don't talk about our testimony anymore. <laughs> we don't talk about our witness to the world. It's kind of like, well, we're all a bunch of sinners. God understands. You know, the world will figure it out. That should not be true of the church. We are the light. And the way we conduct ourselves, we actually present His name to the world. And we should care about our testimony. In all areas of life, we should care about our testimony. That's why we try not to use bad language at work. Not so we're a good Christian. Because we actually have a good testimony. That's why we don't put ourselves in appearances of evil. Even though the world goes, what are you talking about? Because we want a good testimony. <laughs> That's why what we do here on a Sunday, we want a good testimony. Of course we're a bunch of sinners. Of course we're not going to get it right. We understand that. That's why we're talking about grace all morning, and I love it. But we should have in the frame of mind our testimony to what happens here. And how it reflects God. We talked about it over and over. If I have to clean my house, I could care less. I'll cut every corner. For some stupid reason, when I have to clean this building, and it's just a building, I care. Now, if you know me at all, which most of you do, I don't care about cleaning. But when I clean this place, I better do it right, and I better do it awesome. Why? <laughs> Why do I care? Because it's a testimony. It's a testimony. I care how we reflect his name. So yes, it does not matter if there's crumbs on the floor, but at the same time, it does. It does. <laughs> we, we've swung the pendulum so far sometimes. I know we got kids here. Praise the Lord. I know there's going to be crumbs. Praise the Lord. But it also matters. It also matters what the place looks like in some ways. It's a testimony. Sometimes maybe we just need to be reminded. Solomon here says, I am building this temple for his name. And I'm going to dedicate it to him. That's interesting. I dedicate the building to God. To an unseen God. Dedicate it. You can read in 1 Kings chapter 8 what that dedication ceremony looked like. It was pretty cool. Because as Solomon's praying the whole time, basically all he's saying is, we're worried about what God thinks. <laughs> Not about the temple. Worried about if it pleases you. And because of that, I'm going to line it up with gold. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I'm going to get the cedar. I'm going to get the gold. It's going to be a wonder. Not so Jewish people look good, but you look good. Not so Jewish people look good, but you look good, God. And he dedicated it to him. In verse 5 of Second Chronicles chapter 2, 
It says, And the temple which I build will be great. Why? And again, this gets really um, interesting because you can have church nowadays in a house and we know it's not about the building, right? Obviously. Sometimes I think that also um, lets us not understand someone's heart sometimes, meaning this. Solomon wanted to build a temple for God. And what does it say? He wants it to be great because our God is greater than all gods. I don't want to just do kind of a halfway temple. I want this thing to be one of the seven wonders of the world. Because our God is better, bigger, and greater than all the other gods. So I'm going to put all my resources and what my father prepared into this temple. I want it to be great, not just good. I want it to be great. Because our God is greater than all the other gods. And so I want to encourage you this morning with what have you dedicated to the Lord? What have you dedicated to the Lord? And whatever you have dedicated to Him, maybe it's time of commitment. Maybe you dedicated a half an hour every day to read His Word. Maybe you've done ministries here at Branford Bible Chapel, and you're dedicated to doing that. Whatever you have dedicated to the Lord, are you trying to make it great or just good? I know that sounds different because it sounds like we're doing something in our own power. But if our heart is in the right spot and we really want to do something to the Lord so it's great for Him, then by all means we should be doing great and not just good. You know, in your service, I also recognize, as I've said, trying not to do things in your own strength, that Solomon asked for a lot of help. (laughs) Solomon didn't sit there and go, well, you know, the Lord has blessed me, I'm king, I better do this all by myself. He hires a lot of people. In fact, 3,600 just to oversee the job. That's a lot of people, a lot of gold. A lot of supplies. He needs to go to the next country over to get the cedar. I want to get that quality wood. It's just simple for me. Whatever you've dedicated to the Lord, have you asked for help? <laughs> have you asked for help? I think sometimes it's just it's so interesting when we want to serve the Lord, even here at the local assembly, we think like we've got to put this whole burden on ourselves. We can't ask for help. So it looks like we're weak or something. I tell you, it's just plain wrong. Of course, we're supposed to ask people for help. When I ran Awana here, I went to Awana my whole life. You know, I ran a lot of uh, youth ministries at camps and stuff. But you know what I did? I called Dan Quarterwig, <laughs> the guy up at Groton that used to run Awana. With, you know, when I was there. And then he's in the Awana. Uh, he was in the Awana program. I said, Hey, Dan, we, what do I do? What's going on with the wanna? How do we do this? I ask for help. That's a humble servant. You know, as an elder, I talk to other elders. Obviously, I can talk to the other three here, but sometimes it's nice to talk to elders somewhere else. 
hey, what did you guys do over there? I asked for help. It's not uncommon, guys. It's not uncommon. And so some of the ways we can make, uh, if we want to try to serve with greatness, is simply asking others to help. And what's your idea? How do you do things? <laughs> Another thing he wanted to do for the temple was to burn before him sweet incense. He just wanted heaven to smell good. I love that. You might have heard even me talk about it in the past. I just I can't wait to spend time with our Savior in heaven and say, what, what really happened here when we were down there? <laughs> what really happened on a Sunday morning when we just thought we were all just you know, hearing a sermon? <laughs> we just thought we were breaking bread one more time. What was happening in heaven? Did you just get hit with fragrances? Fragrances. Every time someone prayed audibly, every time someone prayed in the quietness of their heart, you just got hit with it. And heaven was just filled with great smells. As not only did it happen here in Brantford, Connecticut, but it happened globally. But I want us to understand again that he made this temple so he could burn and make sweet incense to an unseen God. It was still all about Him. We know that in the New Testament it talks about the sweet incense being our prayers. That when we pray it goes up like a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. So there's a few things about this aroma that I want you to think about when it comes to how important it is for you, even in this local assembly, what you could do to make heaven smell good, basically. <laughs> in 1 Timothy 2.1, it talks about... Well, let's turn there. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving things be made for all men. Do you know, when you pray for someone here at this assembly, it can be sweet incense to heaven. <laughs> We're going to have corporate prayer in about ten minutes. And the faith that the what actually happens, the reality, is that as you go before your God who has saved you, and you lift up others in prayer, and you thank the Lord for them, and you thank the Lord for who He is, heaven is filled with fragrance. That's a beautiful thought. <laughs> and so why am I saying it? I wanted to remind us, because we've heard some of these things. I want to remind you, and not at all in a legalistic way. I really want to try to grab your heart. That's why prayer meetings are important. Do <laughs> you get that? You have the right to come before God and fill heaven today with fragrance. 
Because He, the one that we are here under, His name, He desires that you pray for people. That's what He wants. And He's happy when you do it. So it's not just a chore. It's not just, oh, 15 minutes at the end of this time, it's another prayer meeting. It is a beautiful thing. It's something special. And something that you can please God with. Audibly or not audibly. You pray for the saints. It's a privilege, guys. It's a privilege. This is why church matters. So we're not just coming to pray just to do something. Just because we're religious. This is why it matters. Because your God, your Savior said pray for each other. And when you do, I'm happy. Solomon built this temple saying, I just want to burn incense. I just want want things to smell good to you. We have the right to do it now. The right to do it now. Sometimes I think that it's like, oh, it's cool. If we were back in the day in the temple, it'd be cool to actually light incense. And it just looks so religious. There's gold everywhere. And you smell this incense and like, you're in a holy place. But guys, it's even greater now. It's greater now. The living God is among us. We get to pray together. It's greater now. What about the aroma of our repentance? In Numbers 15.3, it talks about the burnt offering smelling good to the Lord. This is weird. (laughs) But I tell you, God's happy when you come on a Sunday morning and you you ask for repentance. You ask for forgiveness. How many times have we been here at 9.15 and in 1 Corinthians it says to examine yourself. Sometimes I don't like that verse. <laughs> it's very easy to come to church and not have to worry about what I did this week. Let me just hear something. I have to train myself. Examine yourself. Before we start, examine yourself. And the beauty and the majesty of it is that when we as a people actually pray to God and say, God, forgive me. I I acknowledge I messed up again. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I want to have a holy time. I want this time to be all about you. I don't want anything in the way. I don't want my sin to mess this stuff up. He likes that. He likes that. He likes the burnt offering. The burnt offering, you can see, that's what uh, Solomon was doing there. So, next thing there, for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings, morning and evening on the Sabbath, on the new moon, of the set feast of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. Just remember quickly some of the things. They were offered willingly, the burnt offering. This one was willingly. God wanted you on your own will to come and give something to Him. It was also offered daily. I mean, there was a lot of burnt offerings at different times, and you can read it, the Sabbath and the feasts. And, but it was also something daily that was offered. When someone, out of the willingness of their heart, wanted to sit there and say, I need to put the hand on the animal, recognizing that I'm a sinner, and that you are going to cover my sin. 
and offer that up to the Lord. It was a sign of repentance. And God was pleased with that. God was pleased. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He offered Himself to us as a sweet-smelling aroma. And I think the way He loved us was also part of that. We are called to walk in love just as He loved us. By the way we love each other can be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord by the way we love each other. And I know we've heard it over and over and over again, but I just want to remind us what you're a part of here at Brantford Bible Chapel. You're part of the thing that is so near and dear to the Lord Himself, the local church. There's nothing more near and dear to Him. And He wants us to love each other And He's happy when we love each other. He's happy about it. There can be thousands of sermons preached on how to do that. Go listen to them. They're online. (laughs) But don't underestimate. Don't get used to the fact that He has loved us, given Himself for us, and now asks us to do that to the people in this room. It is impossible for you to love every single person and give of your resources to everyone in the world. I get that, but you know what you can do right here. Right here. Don't underestimate that. Don't get used to that. This is what you think about. You are serving your God, and you say, man, what can I do? And he's asking you, love the people that go to Brantford Bible Chapel. Be committed to them. Love them. It's very powerful. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You have a certain smell to you, (laughs) either good or bad. Your testimony, your witness matters. Through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We come under His name. We don't want His name to be tainted. I just want to encourage us very simply again this morning that your testimony matters. What you do here in this assembly matters. You are actually the fragrance of Christ. You are actually the picture of Christ to the world. 
That's a huge responsibility. You are actually the picture of Christ to each one of us. You're supposed to show me what Christ looks like. That's what you're supposed to do. That's a huge responsibility. Huge. Don't take for granted what we do here. It is astronomically huge. And that is why we are so happy about grace, right? That's what we talked about today. We're going to have corporate prayer. I'm going to have Ed close our time, if that's all right. I'll pray and then uh, we'll just get going.